right, the book of Hebrews is where we are. Again, if you're new, here's what we do at the Park Church. We preach through uh, books of the Bible, and we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 5, finish chapter 5, and get into chapter 6 a little bit this morning. So turn there. If you don't have your copy of God's Word, it'll be on the screen behind me. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this will be, and this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Verse 7, for, for land that has drunk the rains that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it, if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Hard ending, I know, hard ending, hard ending. Um, and, uh, and, and just a way that you, you need to know, I'm going to break up this text, is verses in chapter 6, uh, verses 4 through that hard ending on 8. Um, I am going to teach on those in the upcoming weeks a- ahead, um, and, and not, not that I, I'm, I'm skipping over those this week, but I'm, I'm going to teach on those in the upcoming week. And, and really, the essence of those feed into where we need to go today. The essence of those verses is this, that religious experiences don't save you. Okay, that, that's the essence of, the, of those uh, verses right there. And so how that feeds into today's section um, uh, is clear once you understand the topic. And I think it's pretty, you know, it's pretty clear that this topic that we'll, we'll talk about today from verses 11 in chapter 5 all the way to verse 3 is around the area of spiritual maturity, spiritual growth. And, uh, and, and so that's uh, what we'll unpack today. And the author of Hebrews is very serious about this idea of spiritual growth and spiritual uh, maturity. He's been communicating with us through this whole book about warnings and about what it looks like to be a true believer in Jesus Christ and what it's not. Um, and so something we say around here a lot, a phrase that we use is our desire, our heart as the Parks Church is to be a group of people or a community of people who are whole life disciples being transformed by the way of Jesus. And uh, I want to submit to you that there is um, no category, biblically speaking, for a non-growing Christian. Every time you see in the pages of Scripture proof or evidence of salvation, it's attached to a person that is maturing and growing. Okay, so let's look at this first section here uh, in Hebrews chapter five, verse eleven through verse fourteen. This is a warning. The warning is this, you should be teachers now, but you're not. You should be mature by now, 
but you're not. You should be able to handle some of the things that I need to unpack and lay out before you. And remember, this is coming off the heels of, of an introduction of Melchizedek, okay? And he like pauses here and says, I'm not even going to go there yet because I want to give you a warning. Some of you should be able to, to be teachers now, yet you're not. And he talks and he compares it between teachers and children, right? In solid food versus milk. Well, what is the reason for their immaturity in Hebrews chapter 5? Did you pick that up? It's in verse 11. Look at it. The reason for their immaturity. The end of verse 11. Since you have become dull of hearing. You have become. He doesn't say you are dull of hearing. What does he say? Very strategic word here. You have become dull in your hearing. Meaning that over time, from your salvation, from when you received Christ, okay, or heard of Christ, for some of you who haven't received Christ yet, your hearing has grown dull. Now, here's what I want you to understand about that phrase. What it means in, in, in the original language is this, that you are no longer trying to understand who God is. And sometimes this comes from pride. Sometimes this comes from other reasons that I'll talk about. But what he's indicting them on is that their hearing has become dull. And he goes, listen, you're not where you should be in Christ. You're back here at immaturity and he wants to mature you. And listen, the same thing is true here in 2021 of the Parks Church. The same warning, the same kind of indictment could be made of many of us. That the reality is you have sat in church service after church service, sermon after sermon. You've read devotional. You've been part of small groups. You've listened to pot, whatever it is. You should be teaching You should be able to handle some of these weightier matters, yet you still find yourself on milk. Yet you still find yourself as a child. You're not, in other words, you're not maturing. Listen, milk is right and proper for a small child. True, yes, it it is good and right. But now if if, if a 25-year-old is only drinking milk, you're going... So like, dude, there's so much more for you, right? Like filet, mignon, right? Like the, the sweet, savory red meat of steak, you know? Like, but people find themselves satisfied. My little belly's full. I'm good. Oh, there's so much more. And what Hebrews this morning, I pray, and the Holy Spirit will do, is beckon you and I into maturity. Beckon you and I into growth. And so I want to ask the question, How mature are you this morning? How mature are you this morning? You see, what solid food or maturity yields, Hebrews 5 at the end, 14 tells us, it yields a wisdom, an ability, did you catch this? Look at verse 14. An ability to discern good from evil. Do you see that in verse 14? And how do you grow in that ability? It says, it doesn't leave us guessing, constant practice, right? This idea of constantly pursuing, constantly going after, constantly being before the word of God, constantly being in the community of God, constantly in the things that God instructs us to be in. That is how we will grow and we will mature and we will be, and it will yield a wisdom to discern good from evil. Now, another word, there are two words there that is consistent with Hebrews is this, truth, you will be able to discern truth from lies. 
right? For, for, for those who are immature or those who are new to the faith or children, what do we have to do as parents oftentimes for our kids? We have to discern for them, don't we? We have to go, no, 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 that, that, that's not good for you, right? And here's why. No, that's why. Why? Just, just because it's bad for you, okay? But as you grow in maturity, you're able to discern, As we grow in maturity spiritually, the same thing happens, right? We are to be growing in the biblical wisdom God has provided for us. Now, also here in Hebrews chapter 6, he's going to take us on a journey at the beginning of chapter 6, right? If if maturity is one of the things that God is, is, is desiring for us, that he wants to give us, what is that route, right? What is the route to maturity? And I think it's kind of like wisdom. We're like, how many of you want to be wise, we're all like, yeah, I, w- I would love wisdom, right? How many of you all want to be mature in Christ? I think we all go, yeah. Nobody's like, I just, I'm, you know, even though maybe functionally we're there. But what is that route to maturity? Well, Hebrews chapter 6 tells us, and this is in the first three verses. The three distinct commands given in Hebrews chapter 6 is this. The first one is believe. Look at it. Therefore, if maturity is where we're headed as believers, we want to be maturing and growing in our faith. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Wait a minute. Did Hebrews 6 just introduce heresy? Right? To leave the elementary doctrine of Christ? Now, this word leave is very specific. It doesn't mean leave like abandon. It means to hold it in its right place. And I'm going to talk about that. Because then what he does is he gives three sets. He gives three sets of these elementary doctrines. And let's look at these. Because the first thing we must do is believe. As Christians, we must first understand if we're actually Christians, right? And so here, the author of Hebrews lays out what it looks like to be a Christian. Because, listen, our Christian faith is a faith of content. Meaning, you can't just... Say that you believe in Jesus, therefore I'm a Christian, okay? Jesus even deals with this. He goes, even the demons believe in me, but that's not a saving belief, okay? We have to intellectually and in our faith trust in a certain set of beliefs to actually be Christian. And listen, that's not super popular, okay? That's not getting a lot of play, but let's look at what Hebrews tells us. These are the basic, the elementary doctrines. They're good, they're right, and they're proper. They're necessary for us to construct upon. We'll never mature if these aren't the foundation. The first set is this. Let's look at it in verse 1. It says, laying laying again a foundation. Here's the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith in God. So the first pair they put together is repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. This is critical. This is crucial. This is vital for the foundation of Christianity that you understand that we are a people who come before our God with a repentance heart. That repentance is the way in which we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. What is repentance then? Repentance isn't you and I just going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I told that lie. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry I said that bad word. Uh, that's, that's a good thing. That's called confession. Okay, that's called confession. Repentance, on the other hand, is this. Repentance is recognizing who you are fundamentally without Christ. Okay, recognizing who you are fundamentally without Christ. You and I, we have to get this in our minds that that we sin, the things I listed there, because we are a sinner. Okay, 
We're not a sinner. Don't get it flipped. We're not a sinner because we, we sin. We, in our DNA, at the fundamental level of who we are, the Bible tells us, is that we are sinners. And so what repentance is, is it's a recognition of who I am and who you are apart from Christ. I'm dead in my sin. And then what's the next basic belief? Faith in Jesus. The Hebrews, he uses the word trust. Talked a lot about faith in Hebrews. So repentance leads us to what? Trust in Jesus. Trust that salvation is found in him and him alone, that I can't manufacture salvation, I can't good works my way into salvation, but I find salvation in trusting in Jesus Christ alone, both as Savior and Lord. This is foundational. But he doesn't stop there. He keeps going, right, with these foundational beliefs. And in the next pair is a very interesting one. It says, and instructions, look at this verse 2, and of the instructions about washings, that's the ESV version. Some of you say baptisms. And in either translation, what strikes me about that is that they're plural, okay? So we'll hold baptisms as a foundational piece, and then the laying on of hands, so now you have two foundational things of baptisms and the laying on of hands. And so I began to think about this, like why plural? Is there more than one baptism? Well, uh, th- there, there is a section in our Bible in the book of Acts. And, and go with me, Denise, to that section here. I want you to see where baptism and the laying on of hands are found together. Because this is going to give us some insight onto what this is. And so this is Paul there at the early church. And it says, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth. Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, okay? He found some disciples, followers. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Big problem. And he said, then into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Okay, baptism, one. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. And so using this idea of plural baptisms is pointing back to these moments in even these early Christians' lives where they were baptized only into half of the story, right? Repentance is necessary, it's foundational, it's just what I talked about. But Paul, what he says to these early followers is, you only got half of the story. You need to be baptized into Christ Jesus, that your repentance leads to faith in him, okay? But what's also interesting here is there's something else being taught. Because what hadn't they heard about yet? The Holy Spirit. So baptisms, he's clarifying, he's going, listen, this next step, the next biblical step of obedience after salvation is that you are water baptized, okay? I'm glad we have, we've matured past that now and none of us are in roadblocks like that anymore, right? Oh yeah, right. He's going to the church here in Hebrews, the same thing like we do here. It's like, listen, if you've received Christ, why are we still having this conversation? Like you've matured past this. Have you received Christ? Yes. Why aren't you water baptized? Well, I don't know. It's a lot of people, Kyle. No, the next obedient step for you is to be water baptized. And then he goes on. This is where the laying of hands. On hearing this, they were baptized. They didn't delay. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had, here we go, laid his hands on them, 
the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. So you see, they were baptized, foundational belief, they were water baptized. And then Paul does what? He lays his hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to talk about timing right here, but I will say this, that the Holy Spirit comes into every believer at the point of salvation, okay? However, I think we live in a society, not, 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 I couldn't say this in all churches, okay, especially the ones that I grew up in, um, that we live in a church culture in an area that by and large lives their Christian lives detached or apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about certain um, uh, what I call the spectacular or visible gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I'm talking about the role and work of the person of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit in our lives. That his role and his function, his power is to illuminate Christ in our lives. I love John's title. He says that the, 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 the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a floodlight ministry to make much of Jesus. And he does that by empowering believers to live in boldness and power and convicts us of sin. But yet many of us have, let, let's, let's be honest, we have fallen into immature patterns and ways because we live our lives not accessing or tapping into the power available to us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I grew up, uh, and I'll, I'll share just a little bit here, I grew up where some of the language was kind of, I didn't go, okay, that's a spirit-filled person, that's a spirit-filled church, and I understand what they were saying. Like, I, I grew to understand what they were saying. They were going, that's a charismatic person, that's a charismatic church. But if you take it on face value, it's really redundant to say that's a spirit-filled person when pointing to a Christian, right? That's, that, that doesn't make any sense. Like, that's a spirit-filled church. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, guess what? The Spirit's in you. The Spirit is alive in you, is alive in us as a church. Now, let's take it one step further to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now I'm going to get back into my roots a little bit. The power of the Holy Spirit that is, and I wouldn't say this in, in every context, but I think I'm pretty safe in our church context, all right? We don't really struggle with charismania, okay, around here. We struggle with, you know, any form of even clapping or lifting our hands. Um, <laughs> that I've been in some circles, right? that are like ours. And they're like, yeah, God, we want the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We want his power. But man, we need to be cautious. And I get, they're talking about the gifts. They're talking about those. Like we, we just kind of, you know, we want to do that, but with our seatbelts on. And uh, a much wiser, older gentleman in, 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 in the conversation like this paused. And he says, would you ever talk about Jesus like that? Like, oh, you know, his grace. Oh, we want his grace, his love, his mercy. Just be cautious with it. Or salvation. Let's just make sure we're tempered. No, we wouldn't talk like that. Then why are we okay talking like that about the third person of the Trinity? Listen, we want the fullness of God, the Holy Spirit, here in our church. We want to operate his gifts to operate in fullness, in biblical fullness, in, 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 in the way, in the structure in which the scriptures line out. But we want the fullness of God, the Holy Spirit, in our lives and in this corporate body. Amen? And listen, that is going to be a body that is growing and maturing. It's going to look like us pursuing those things and, and, and getting a little bit out of maybe our comfort zones a little bit to go, God, we want your fullness. 
We want all of who you are, Holy Spirit, to empower us and to embolden us and to make much of Jesus in this church and in our lives. This is, listen, this isn't, this is, you're like, man, that's really for the mature. No, this is in the foundation here in Hebrews. This is foundational is seeing the Holy Spirit move in power and glory. And the last two are this, is resurrection and judgment. So baptism, so have repentance and faith. Right? I don't think I'm catching anybody off guard there. Baptism and the Holy, baptism and the Holy Spirit. And then resurrection and judgment. Look at this. It says, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. We as Christians, we are a resurrection people, okay? That Paul says, listen, if Christ is not resurrected from the dead, you are most to be pitied. And in fact, if Christ is still dead, what we're doing here is actually really, really silly. It's folly and it's like we shouldn't, we should out be doing a bunch of hobbies, okay? But Christ is raised from the dead. That's what we're proclaiming. We're proclaiming that Easter is real, that our faith is not in vain and we are not dead in our sin, that the resurrection is not just something that happened to Christ, but it's something that he then, through his resurrection and his power, will apply to us. We're resurrection people. And that caveats and goes over to the next foundational thing, which is that idea of eternal judgment, that we believe through the resurrection that we will live with Christ forever, right? That there is an actual place called heaven and there is a real place called hell that that eternal separation from God is a real thing. And listen, for Christians, when we think about eternal judgment, we should kind of breathe a sigh of relief. Why? Because our God is the judge. Our God, the God who redeemed us, the God who loves us, the God who shows us his way of grace and mercy and kindness, he's the God who will set all things right and is the ultimate judge. For those outside of Christ, it's terrifying. Because you'll stand before God and he'll go, what did you do with what I provided for you, chief? his son. And that's where the separation happens. You see, one of the most um, devastating things um, in ministry is spending time with people that I think were found in here in Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 6, where people were praying together, maybe being discipled shoulder to shoulder, living in tight-knit community, walking through um, certain conflicts and struggles and persecution, yet watching them walk away from Jesus because they believe he isn't worth it. And this whole idea of the book of Hebrews is this, is that Jesus is better, that he is worth it, that he is worth this, this process and this pruning and this refining and this sanctifying work that the Spirit does in our life, that Jesus is worth it because he's, he's better. You see, the fact of eternal judgment is God is worth it now, yes, but eternally more he's worth it in what's to come. I challenge you, ask anybody in here, and, and well, maybe not that kind of assuming people's age, but ask anybody in here over the age of 50. Ask, ask the speed of their life. What has the speed of your life been? You know what they're going to tell you? It's been fast. Man, my life has been so fast. And particularly, I'm typically toting around three kids. My wife and I are toting around three kids. We'll get people come up to us constantly and just go, oh, enjoy this. It goes, what do they say? It goes so fast. That's consistent with the scriptures. This life is a blip. Even if you're afforded 90 95 years. This life is a blip. It's a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But why do we fall into the lie 
of orchestrating our lives then around this vapor, around this blip, around this thing that goes so fast. And eternity, (laughs) eternity for us is so detached from how we actually live. And the writer of Hebrews goes, church, Christian, this is the elementary doctrines. These are necessary. This is just the foundation. You must believe these. I must believe these. We as a collective church, we must believe these before we ever start talking about building. But Hebrews goes there. I'm thankful it does. So it says, believe these. And this is where we'll get into, and I'll close it down rather quickly. It says, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. Go on to maturity. Another word for go on, build pursue, go after. So here's the idea of leaving the elementary doctrines. You leave the elementary doctrines of the faith like a builder leaves a foundation. The builder doesn't just go, there's the foundation and go on and construct his structure somewhere else, does he? No, on that foundation, the builder builds the layers and the levels. That is the maturing work of the Holy Spirit. That's what the writer of Hebrews is beckoning us toward. No, listen, go on to maturity. Lay that foundation. That foundation is set, but it's time for you to go from milk to meat to solid foods, to grow up a little bit, church. You see, in our area, there is a, um, there's a tendency to have some pseudo-maturity, spiritual maturity, Okay? And what I mean by pseudo-maturity is things like um, having pride in how much Bible you know, right? How many church services you've attended, how many Sunday school classes you've taught. All, all those things are fine and good. But pride is pride. And pride is always, no matter what form or shape it takes, is always a sign of maturity. That is pseudo-maturity. I don't care how much Bible you know. I care about how much Bible you believe because it's led to transformation in your heart. That's maturity. Or how about the pseudo uh, maturity of truth without grace? Right? Well, truth, truth, truth. Yet there is no grace. There's, there's no evidence of Christ in it. Now listen, there's, there's a flip side to that coin. Right? It's the grace without truth. Right? Well, we, just, we, just need to, we just need to accept and we just need to do this. We need to do this. No, no there, there is a way. As Hebrews talk about, there, there is a way that God gives us through his word, through, through his son Jesus as an example. And so there is truth and grace together. That's, that's maturity, church. Truth and grace. That's how Jesus himself was described. How about the, uh, the pseudo-maturity of harshness toward outsiders while cutting the insider slack? The church has done really good at shouting at everyone out there. Condemning, yelling. Hey, some of those sins in here, well, it's like pride. Those are the acceptable ones. You may get a badge for being a renegade, but you're immature. How about this one? This one gets me. Um, Telling people you're mature. Right? (laughs) Kyle, I am uh, really mature, so... Um, what are you going to do with me? Mm, probably get out of the way so you can part the Red Sea. I don't know. Like, <laughs> hand over the reins. Um, listen, the most spiritually mature people are those who understand spiritual maturity is that you are always a work in process. 
that there'll never be an arrival point where you're like, whoa, you know, sinless. The most mature people I know are people who would never claim to be mature. Why? Because humility drives their lives. Are they maturing? You bet. Are they growing? You bet. But do they tout about it? Do they brag about it? No. Why? Because pride is pride and it's always immaturity. So what does maturity look like? What does it look like to be growing, have growing marks as a disciple? Well, let's get them from the scriptures. A desire for holiness is a mark of a growing disciple, right? And, and holiness, I know for some of you, it like gets a weird kind of bit. Hol- the word holy just means that you're set apart, that there's a growing distinction between you and not a weird distinction, but a curious distinction between you, the truth versus the lies of culture. I read one pastor this week. He said, if we desired holiness the way we desire money, vacation, homes, fame, the world might actually be more beautiful. That's true. How about a growing love for the thing that God loves? That's what it looks like in a a growing disciple. What does God love? God loves the weak, the vulnerable, the marginalized, the oppressed, the fatherless. God loves his church, the bride. Are you passionate about the things that God is passionate about? A growing disciple looks like emotional steadiness and consistency, and this is the book of Proverbs. I love that Tim Keller, he says, he says, the lows don't cause you to despair and the highs are but a shadow of a future reality with Christ. That's what maturity looks like. It looks like an emotional stability and consistency. When, I, when, when the low, the valleys happen, I don't despair because I trust Jesus. When I'm on the mountain, I don't boast because I know it's just a shadow a shadow of a future reality with Christ. The growing disciple is someone who will think critically, yet be less critical. They'll be a people who think deeply about the things of God, the truths of God, the way of Jesus. But yet in turn, what happens in our hearts is that we're actually less critical of others around us. And then lastly, um, growing mark of, a, uh, mark of a growing disciple is relentless commitment. See, spiritual growth and maturity happen through commitment. Through commitment to Christ, through commitment to relationships that are messy and difficult, yes, but it happens through commitment. That's what some marks are of a growing disciple. And then the last point from our text is this. In this, verse three, in this we will do if God permits. I'm like, what is that? This maturing we will do if God permits. I love how our Bible without flinching holds two things hand in hand. Our absolute responsibility and God's sovereignty. Did you hear that? The writer was like, listen, you build, you mature, you grow, and this will happen if the sovereign God permits. This is all over the pages. One of my favorite stories, and I've already shared it like even in Hebrews, but I think it's aspects just, it's in the Gospels where, where, where the disciples are charged to feed the 5,000. It's like 15 or 20,000. And, uh, and so the, Jesus, they come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, uh, they're hungry, send them home. Like, send them home or we're going to have riots on our hands. And uh, um, Jesus goes, you feed them. 
He turns to his disciples, right? You feed them. And, and, and they don't grumble. They don't go, they're like, Jesus, you're not out of your mind. What do they do? They go, responsibility. They go and they look and see what they have around them, the resources that they can see and the resources that they have, right? And what do they come up with? A couple loaves and some fish. And what do they do? They don't go, forget this. Like we know there's 15,000 people, forget this. What do they do? And here's what's important, right? What do we do in our maturity, in our maturing and our growing? They take those loaves and those fishes and they bring them to Jesus. And then he multiplies them. So this is what we do in our growth, in our maturing. We bring what we have to Jesus and he gives the growth. He then turns that small little loaf and that fish into feeding 15, 20,000 people. Why do I bring that up? Because that is the nature of what God does with us all the time. All the time. He always asks us to do things in our life, including this, with resources that we don't have. Why? Because he's trying to beckon us to himself. To trust him. To rest. Rest in him. See, I use the word rest here, one, because it's in Hebrews as well. But I use rest because this should cause in us a patience. I get frustrated with myself sometimes, right? Like how slow this growing process or this maturing process is in, in me, right? Because of Kyle, because of me, not because of God. I need to trust that he's doing it. I need to trust that he's doing it in your life as well. And the people that I walk with, I can be patient with you. I can be patient with myself because God is the one who's growing us. He's the one doing the work. Um, I'll share this last bit and then we're gonna pray together. Um, uh, John of the Cross, he was a Catholic priest. He, got, he, he, he has some incredible writings. There's a large part, portion of his writings I don't agree with. But one of the things he really does well is he, he writes on spiritual maturity. And he gives kind of his layout of what spiritually maturing people are about. And I wanna share that with you um, this morning because I think it's a really good framework for you to, and for me to lay my life against and say, okay, am I, am, I, am I posturing my heart in life before this? And am I growing? He says, study the life of Christ. Right, we're not just growing up randomly, but we're growing up into Christ-likeness. So you need to know Jesus, right? And not just like, I know him as these elementary things, but actually know his way of life. That you pursue Christ's motives. Like part of maturing is not just understanding what Christ did specifically, but it's understanding the motive by which he did it. Why he kneeled down with the woman caught in adultery. Why he did this or did that. Like understanding the heart of Christ. That's what his point is there. Do you understand the heart of Christ? That's maturity. Welcome resistance. (laughs) Americans, right? Texans. We face resistance. We're like, out. God's obviously telling me if there's resistance, this ain't right, right? No, where, where is growth really like catapulted? It's in those moments of resistance. Those moments of things that pull against us, resist. Reject being the center speaks for itself. Speaks for itself. In growing in Christ, in maturing, it will be a people who are detaching ourselves from the center and putting Christ there where he belongs. And then this, embrace mystery. Embrace that you and I simply don't know everything and can't and won't ever on this journey, but we trust the one who does. Embrace that mystery in your life. Um, And rest. 
Uh, stand with me. Um, and so, uh, this is the end of, of, of my sermon. Uh, this is the end of the talk. Uh, this is the end of the service formally. Um, and so, hear me. If you need to go, please go. Um, but I want us here um, to pray specifically because I think this is one of those messages that, um, and you can, if you need to go, go now. No judgment. Um, that the Holy Spirit uniquely moves and moves powerfully, especially as we're talking. Like, I, I genuinely think in our church, hear me, our church, there is a desire to grow. There's a desire to mature. There's a desire to, to like really understand Jesus and walk faithfully with him. But there are these hurdles. There are these blocks. And, uh, and so um, I think there are three. The first block, and in, in, in some of you are experiencing this now, is discouragement. You're just discouraged. And uh, it's prevented you from growing and maturing in, in faith and the Spirit's work in your life. The second is distractions. Um, some of you are just so distracted with life and busyness. And listen, I have three small kids. Like, I, I get it. I'm not excusing it, but I, I get it. And I want you to know, like, I, I resonate with where you are there. And then the third thing is this, is disobedience. Some of you are walking in direct disobedience from the will and the heart of God the Father. And, uh, like, the Spirit has maybe, even in this talk, been trying to steer and direct you, and you've been pushing and, and stiff-arming. Yield. Listen to him this morning. You will never grow in maturity. Your growth will always be stunted and stagnant if there is direct disobedience in your life. And so I want us to pray. Can I pray specifically around those three things for us? Um, and so the first one, and my hand's going to be open for, for all three of them, by the way. Um, the first one, um, this idea of discouragement. If you're just discouraged and you feel like, hey, that's just kind of where I am in my relationship with God, would you just put your hands out like this? And I'm going to pray specifically. We're going to go through all three. Um, Father, I pray for those of us who find um, our lives and our walk with you in a discouraged place for whatever reason, for whatever um, God thing that has come upon us. Um, we are discouraged. Our hearts are discouraged. Our minds are wondering. And Lord, it has um, kind of stopped and impeded this, this growth, this maturing, uh, this desire even to mature in us. So Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning, that you would encourage the hearts of these brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, that you would encourage their souls. God, you, you knit them together. You know every fiber and facet of our lives. And so Lord, I pray that you would speak as only you can to our hearts. Lord, even as we go through this day and into this week, that we would lift our heads to the encourager, Christ, who encourages our souls. So Lord, I pray for just supernatural encouragement to these people. Um, maybe if you find yourself in a place of um, distraction, let's put out your hands and just confession. There's nothing super spiritual about our hands. We just want to receive. We just want to be honest before God. Lord, um, we are easily distracted. We are a people who go way too fast in too many directions. Forgive us. Lord, that has stunted so much of our growth and our maturity in you. Lord, it's, it's, built a, it's built something off of a foundation that's deformed. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to not be such, uh, so distracted as a people and as a church. Help our gaze and our focus to be uh, profoundly and uniquely upon you. Uh, do that, I pray, even this week. Give those of us who are so distracted by really good things even, clarity and focus on the person and work of Jesus Christ in maturity that it might flow and you might give way of growth in our lives. God, forgive us for being so distracted. 
And then the last one of disobedience. Um, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ um, in this room whom you are convicting, whom you, by the grace and mercy of your Holy Spirit, are, are, are bringing out things that are not in line with your heart and your will. And so, Lord, I pray that they would confess those, they would repent and turn from them and re, literally realign their heart and their desire with Jesus so that they might grow, so that they might build off of that firm foundation of him. Lord, let us flee from sin. Let us hate or abhor evil, the Bible says. Um, let us do that. And so in this place, I pray that, that, that there would not be a disobedient person who could walk out of here. God, I pray that this collision of grace would happen. We'd confess our sin and we would see you do something that only you can do in our lives. Lord, I pray over the Parks Church that you would continue to, God, take our roots deeper into your gospel, into the grace of Jesus Christ, so that what might be seen by a watching world is joy and love and truth, not lies, not the things that, that are so flimsy that culture wants to give. And so, Lord, I pray for power and boldness as we walk out of here this week for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.